0: Every spring near the end of May since 1954, a group of around 100 of the world's most powerful politicians, businessmen, bankers, media executives, and international royalty have been holding a secret three-day-long meeting in an evacuated hotel that's surrounded by armed guards. And once inside, the members and invited guests engage in intense, off-the-record talks about their Plans for the New World Order. It's called the Bilderberg Group, or the Bilderberg Meeting, named after the Bilderberg Hotel in Oosterbeck, Holland, the site of the first gathering, which was organized by Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands. Attendees agree not to discuss publicly who was there or what specifically was discussed, and most of them have denied any knowledge of the Bilderberg Group at all. For over 60 years, there's been an almost complete blackout in the mainstream media about the meetings, yielding to the Bilderberg Group's wishes that they keep them out of the press. For decades, news of the infamous group spread through patriot circles and underground newsletters and websites, until the advent of YouTube and social media finally forced some mainstream media outlets to admit that Bilderberg is real and some very powerful people attend. Here's a brief history of how the meetings were discovered and how news of the group began to spread. In 1957, a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist named Westbrook Pegler published the first article on the Bilderberg Group, although he didn't know their name at the time, his report marked the beginning of the unraveling of one of the most interesting conspiracies of all time. In his 1957 article, he wrote, quote, "...something very mysterious is going on when a strange assortment of 67 self-qualified polyglot, which means multilingual, Designers and arbiters of the economic and political fate of our Western world go into a secret huddle on an island of Brunswick, Georgia, and not a word gets into the popular press. These gumshoe superstate architects and monetary schemers were drawn from all NATO countries. The fact of this weird conclave, as spooky as any midnight meeting of the Klan in a piney wood, was bound to get known to the world eventually. He continues to explain how he first learned of this meeting, saying that he got tipped off by one of his readers and decided to look into it. While not yet having the group's name, Westbrook Pegler did connect them with the same gang that met on Jekyll Island to formulate the plans for the Federal Reserve. Then a man named Willis Carto read Westbrook Pegler's article and it motivated him to begin investigating and tracking the Bilderberg group himself. In 1958, he began publishing a newsletter that included articles exposing the Bilderberg group and would later start a weekly newspaper in Washington DC called The Spotlight. Over two decades later, Jim Tucker learned of this elusive group from The Spotlight and would become. The world's foremost expert on them. Jim Tucker tracked the Bilderberg group from 1975 until his death in 2013 at the age of 78. His book titled Jim Tucker's Bilderberg Diary contains decades of information about where the Bilderbergers met, who was in attendance, and what was discussed. Tucker had somehow gained the support of an insider who would leak information to him every year about the location and the date of the meeting, as well as attendee lists and other information. It's foolish to claim that there hasn't been a secret arrangement between the Bilderberg group and the American mainstream media to keep them out of the press, when over a hundred of the world's most influential politicians, media owners, banking executives, and business elite fly halfway around the world to meet for three days in a closed-down five-star hotel that's surrounded by armed guards, you can't say it's not newsworthy. And you certainly can't say that it's not interesting. For years, if anyone called in to any of the major talk shows like Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck and others and told the call screener that they wanted to ask about the Bilderberg group, the call would never be put through. We're not taking calls on that right now, sorry, click. If you called and gave the call screener a bogus question and happened to be put on the air and then asked about the Bilderbergers, you would be ridiculed and the call would be dropped immediately. Something that has happened to me many times when I did this on a regular basis back in the early 2000s. After decades of news blackouts, Because social media helped expose the Bilderberg Group, some outlets have reluctantly and briefly mentioned the event in attempts to avoid looking like they were covering it up, but the stories are still few and far between and only independent outlets are gonna cover it with the depth and seriousness it deserves. This is not just another ordinary political conference. This is where the global elite meet to hatch their plans. Documents leaked from the 1955 Bilderberg meeting show that they were planning the European Union an essential currency back in the 1950s, decades before the EU was formed and their new euro currency introduced. The documents are marked personal and strictly confidential and not for publication in whole or in part. And Two years later, in 1957, the European Union started to take shape with the creation of the European Economic Community, the EEC, which merged the markets of six European countries – France, Germany, Italy, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. This later grew into the European Union in 1993, containing 28 nation states. Most of their plan has been accomplished, and while they continue to play themselves off as an ordinary business conference, the decades of denials and the media blackouts prove the Bilderberg group has been deceptive from their inception, and the inside sources who have leaked their plans over the years prove the power that they wield. Most often what's talked about or agreed upon inside the Bilderberg meetings soon mysteriously finds its way into becoming law. It's clear that wars, economic booms and busts, and controversial legislation are often traced back to this small group of just around 100 different people. While politicians love to point the finger at their rivals and place all the country's ills on the opposing party, throwing mud at them for various organizations they're cozy with, only a small handful of politicians have ever uttered the word Bilderberg. Former Congressman Ron Paul, one of the rare, honest politicians, was once asked about the Bilderberg group by a fan at a book signing who videotaped the interaction and posted it on YouTube.
1: Did you hear about that recent uh, Bilderberg group meeting? What was it? Uh, Shantyville, Virginia? Yeah, recently there was one and there were I some reports
0: like, on it. I didn't read a whole lot about
1: it, but we certainly were there. What
0: the, do you think they're I doing there?
1: <laughs> Seriously, what do you think they're
0: doing there? They probably get together and uh, talk about how they're going to uh, control the banking systems of the world and uh, natural resources.
2: We get together and we talk about how we're going to get our freedom back, so uh, we have our own things to talk about, too.
0: Notice Ron Paul didn't play dumb and didn't ridicule the man's question. Instead, he answered it quite frankly, which is surprising for a politician, particularly when it comes to talking about the Bilderberg Group. Ron Paul and his son Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, Maybe the only politicians in generations who have ever uttered the word Bilderberg. Because of social media and independent blogs and YouTube channels gaining so much popularity in the early 2000s, the Bilderberg's secrecy has been blown, and they, along with their accessories to the cover-up in the mainstream media, have been forced to break their silence on the group. And finally, beginning around the year 2012, some mainstream media outlets began to briefly touch on the meeting to try to give the impression that they weren't obviously blacking them out in a desperate attempt to maintain their fading facade of credibility. But every article, as rare as they are, always say that the conspiracy theorists think that the group is up to no good while glossing over the fact that for over a half century they conveniently ignored the meetings year after year, not to mention the major talk show hosts like Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, and Glenn Beck and others ridiculed any caller who ever brought it up. The brand name conservative talk show hosts are mostly just entertainers. They talk about the issue of the day, but it's just pop culture politics for them. They don't really get into the meat of the matters. They think their audience are too dumb to understand, not to mention they're all afraid to be called conspiracy theorists for daring to look behind the curtain to see who's really pulling the levers. I have, however, as you know, I've gone deep down the rabbit hole, and if you like my monologues like this, then you'll really love reading my books, especially the Bilderberg Group Facts and Fiction, which you should order in paperback from Amazon.com, or download the eBook from Kindle, Nook, iBooks, or Google Play. And as many of you know, my books are a lot more in-depth and hardcore than my videos, which I have to tone down a little bit for obvious reasons. So head on over to Amazon.com or click the link in the description below, and check them out.
2: Most pastors
0: avoid talking about political issues in church for two reasons. One, they don't want to ostracize potentially half of their congregation, and if those people stop coming, then half of their income is going to dry up. And two, even if they're in an extremely conservative district or area and wouldn't lose hardly any of their members, they would put themselves at risk of losing their 501c3 tax-exempt status, which the IRS grants to churches, with the caveat that they're not allowed to endorse candidates, legislation, or political parties. But Pastor Greg Block, the head of a church in the Nashville, Tennessee area, has had enough of the Democrats.
2: I'm to the place right now, if you vote Democrat, I don't even want you around this church. You can get out. You can get out, you demon. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. You get pissed off as you want to. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. They are God denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. They hate this nation. CNN can eat my dirty socks. You cannot be a Democrat and a Christian. You cannot. Somebody say amen. The rest of you get out. Get out.
0: Get out in the name of Jesus! Amen to that, but since we're living in the cancel culture era, many Christian folks are now demanding that his church's tax-exempt status be pulled, and one organization took it upon themselves to tattle on him to the IRS. After the Archbishop of San Francisco decided to deny nasty Pelosi communion, if she ever shows her ugly face in a church again, she does pretend to be Catholic, by the way, if you didn't know, then liberals freaked out so bad that tax the church started trending on Twitter from everybody demanding that churches now all lose their tax-exempt status. For almost a decade now, there have been growing calls from the Marxists or either atheists or Satanists to revoke the 501 c 3 status of churches if they refuse to acknowledge same-sex marriage or even perform same-sex weddings. Here's Beto O'Rourke back in 2020 when he was running for president.
2: This is from your LGBTQ plan, and here's what you write, this is a quote. Freedom of religion is a fundamental right, but it should not be used to discriminate. Do you think religious institutions, uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes.
0: There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. Speaking of infringing on others' rights and people committing horrifying crimes, maybe you should look into what's been happening in the military ever since President Obama withdrew the don't ask, don't tell policy and welcomed certain people in. Nobody wants to talk about that, especially Republican members of Congress. That would be homophobic. And today, facts are homophobic. There was a story back during the Iraq war about a church that was at risk of losing their tax-exempt status because the pastor preached an anti-war message Someone tattled on them to the IRS, and they were accused of engaging in partisan political activism. Back in 2014, a year before the Supreme Court legalized what they call gay marriage, and again, it's not a marriage. A marriage is between a man and a woman, and whenever referencing it, you should always use a sarcastic tone of voice or air quotes or both to show that you're not going along with the culture of Marxism. But back in 2014, before the Supreme Court tried to change the definition of what a marriage is, the city of Houston tried to pass an ordinance to demand that churches acknowledge such things. And the lesbian mayor of Houston at the time directed her city attorney to subpoena five different churches demanding their sermon notes because they were against it.
2: Subpoenaed sermons? The city of Houston wants some local pastors to turn over sermons related to Houston's equal rights ordinance. In the legal battle over the anti-discrimination ordinance that has included protests and petition drives, the city says sermons are fair game. Signatures were acquired at churches, according to city attorney Dave Feldman, and quote, if they choose to do this inside the church, choose to do this from the pulpit, then they open the door to the questions being asked. And then there
0: are others who want people like Pastor Steven Anderson out of Tempe, Arizona, arrested for hate speech for his sermons, which they say are homophobic, Islamophobic, and anti-semitic. He's been banned by the governments of Canada, England, and numerous other countries from even going there because of his sermons. And if we don't take back our country from the Marxists then they will pass hate speech laws just like they have in Canada and a bunch of other countries. And instead of people just getting banned from social media for the things that they say and jokes and facts and statistics, you will get arrested. But hopefully we can take back the House and the Senate come the midterms in November and put a big check and balance on old Joe and then the White House in 2024 and go Ultra Maga. We're going to go to Ultra Maga. And for Memorial Day today, get free shipping in the U.S. on my new Ultra Maga shirt from my online store, markdice.com or any of my awesome designs by using the promo code Ultra at the checkout. That's Ultra Maga one word by the way, so get the new Ultra Maga shirt, my classic liberalism find a gears shirt, and I love global warming shirt, or any of my awesome designs, all available in a t-shirt, long sleeve, and hoodie, and a whole bunch of different colors as well. So head on over to markdice.com or click the link in the description below and check them out. Our country was ultra-prosperous, ultra-secure, and
2: ultra-successful, the most successful our country's ever been. So, Brandon, I agree.
1: Corruption doesn't just happen overnight in Washington. It takes years of lying, backstabbing, and hanging out with some of the shadiest people in town. And if you have your eyes set on gold, like the White House... That's just the bare minimum. But don't take our word for it. Listen to what a young senator out of Delaware had to say in the early 1970s.
2: Well, I'm not sure you should assume I'm not corrupt, but I thank you for that, though. The system does produce corruption, and I think implicit in the system is corruption, when in fact, whether or not you can run for public office, and it costs a great deal of money to run for the United States Senate even from a small state like Delaware, uh, you have to go to those people who have money, and they always want something.
1: And almost five decades later, that young senator went on on to become the most powerful man in Washington. And he may as well be the most corrupt, too. Because if your last name is Biden, you learn a thing or two about corruption growing up. Especially when you're the son of the sleaziest used car salesman in Scranton. (laughs) And your dad was cashing in side checks from the most corrupt union group in the state. The Biden household has always been about making a quick buck. Over the years, as power grew, so did the money. It really all kicked off in 2013, when the Biden family business picked up steam after Vice President Biden boarded on to Air Force Two destined for Beijing, China. Alongside him was the smartest man he knew, his son, Hunter, who was on the trip strictly for business that day He was about to start up the Biden family global affair. And what better time to launch it than when you have the vice president of the United States ready at your disposal. Hunter being the opportunist that he is, set up an introduction between his dad, the vice president, and a shady Chinese businessman named Jonathan Lee in a Chinese hotel lobby. That meeting was as sweet as apple pie. The two shook hands and it was later described as a good social meeting. And the reward was even better. Just like that, the Biden family was offered a $20 million fortune 10 years later. A full 10% stake in a Chinese finance company directly backed by the Communist Party. And to sweeten the deal, Hunter got to sit on their board and play businessman. But the best part of it, the Bidens finally had some street cred in China. No better time to milk dirty Chinese money than when Joe had some bills to pay. And Hunter had a crack addiction to fund. So in 2015, the Bidens began cashing in checks from a giant Chinese energy conglomerate that serves as the arm of the Communist Party's Belt and Road Initiative, a direct national security threat to the United States. It wasn't just Hunter. Even Joe's own brother, Jim, got involved. The two of them raked in almost $5 million from these Chinese oligarchs, most of it from consulting fees. It didn't take a genius to realize these guys reeked of corruption. One of the company's top dogs, a guy by the name of Patrick Ho, was put under FISA surveillance by the United States intelligence arm for bribing African leaders and helping Iran evade U.S. sanctions. Seriously. But Hunter actually saw some more dollar signs out of it. He flaunted his Yale Law degree and somehow got the Chinese to pay a million dollars for his legal services. They even gave him a three-carat diamond, big rock. Now, the guy ended up in jail because, well, Hunter's no criminal attorney. They didn't know that, but hey, Hunter got a quick million. That's what Bidens do. The Biden family business was booming in China, and Zhou couldn't help but get directly involved. When scheming up a joint Chinese company, emails show they were openly talking about cutting 10% of the deal for the big guy. If there was ever any doubt as to who the big guy is, Hunter's former business partner, Tony Bubalinski made it clear for us.
2: It has 10% for the big guy held by H. I 1000% sit here and know that the big guy is referencing Joe Biden. Um, that it's, that's crystal clear to me because I lived it. I met with the former vice president in person multiple times.
1: Joe told us he never once talked to his son about his deals. Well, I guess he's just a lying dog-faced pony soldier then. He was actually bankrolling cash from China, all while he was VP. Guess it paid off. The Bidens earned at least $31 million in Chinese money. And soon enough, the Biden family business expanded all over the globe. Hunter was reeling in clients, and Joe was closing deals with one-on-one meetings. Obviously, Hunter didn't read the art of the deal, But he did know that meeting the vice president went a long way for these guys. So he was setting up meetings between his dad and sketchy foreigners right in Washington at the glorious Cafe Milano. Like meeting some sketchy businessmen from Kazakhstan. There's even pictures of it. Or meeting the wife of a Russian oligarch right before she handed the Biden family a $3.5 million paycheck. And probably the best deal of them all, when Joe met an executive from a Ukrainian energy company called Burisma. We know this because he wrote Hunter an email saying, thank you for inviting me to DC to meet and spend some time with your father. (laughs) And guess what? At the time, Burisma was paying Hunter up to $83,000 a month just to sit on the board. And when the owner of Burisma got wrapped up in a federal investigation in Ukraine, The case was quietly dropped around the same time Joe was demanding it be dismissed. What did Biden have to do with the Ukrainian energy corruption case? Well now we know. You see, corruption in Washington goes a long way. A lot of money flows in if you just meet the shadiest people you could find. Around the globe, there's always a sketchy billionaire who wants to blow money on the most powerful family in Washington. And if you're a Biden, you do what Bidens do best. You take the bait and rake in that pretty penny. Or better yet, you take in millions of dollars and you don't ever look back. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. We couldn't talk about corruption in Washington without mentioning Bill and Hillary Clinton. I mean, Nobody loves power and money more than these two. The dynamic duo, perhaps the most famously crooked couple in the United States. They met way back in 1971 at Yale Law School, and the rest is history. Literally. These two have managed to do a lot in their 50 years in politics. Some good, some bad, but mostly ugly. And tonight, we're going through it all. The greed, the corruption, the -the rotten-to-the-core Clintons starting with one of their biggest controversies, Whitewater. It started back in 1978, when the Clintons partnered up with another couple, James and Susan McDougall, and together they borrowed money from the bank, with a plan to turn some Arkansas mountain land into a spot with vacation homes. But the real estate opportunity flopped. Bill and Hillary lost a lot of money, and Jim McDougall went into banking starting a savings and loan company called Madison Guarantee. And that's where the story gets a little more interesting. Madison Guarantee ended up being a pretty sketchy business. McDougal used it to defraud millions of dollars. And that opened up a federal investigation of all McDougal's business dealings, with Whitewater, Bill, and Hillary at the center. And the timing wasn't great for the Clintons. The investigation blew up in 1994 while Bill was in the White House. A key witness alleged that Bill pressured him into giving an illegal loan for the Whitewater deal. And according to Vox, other allegations swirled about the Clintons and Madison, including claims that McDougal used Madison funds to pay off Bill's gubernatorial campaign debts in 1985, and that Bill appointed a friendly state bank regulator to protect McDougal. A lot of sketchy spending, a lot of missing details, and a lot of corruption. Here's Bill on CBS in 97.
2: This thing's been going on for over three years. Tens of millions of dollars have been spent. And there have been, by the way, two federal reports by independent agencies saying that what I said and what my wife said in the very beginning of this was true that we were not involved in running the savings and loan, that we lost money on a real estate deal, and that this whole inquiry is is going after two people who lost money on a real estate deal made uh, almost 19 years ago now. The thing about the Clintons
1: is that they always seem to weasel their way out of trouble. So while other people went to jail for the fraud scandal, the Clintons didn't, and Bill kept running the country. Which brings me to this, Travelgate. In 1993, not long after Bill took office, he fired a handful of longtime White House employees working in the travel office. It was a pretty questionable decision. But like most things the Clintons do, there was an ulterior motive. Turns out Bill and Hillary wanted to make room for their buddies. You know, take the cronies from Little Rock and move them to DC. Well, that raised some ethics concerns and it didn't sit well with America. The New York Times reported back in 93 that over the course of several embarrassing days, the White House was forced to retreat, rehire five of the seven and investigate its own actions. So most of the fired employees got their jobs back and all was well, but not really. Bill's time in the White House was just the start of the Clinton corruption. Enter the Clinton Foundation, the mother of all money schemes. They established the nonprofit in the 90s with the goal of helping others. At least that's what they told us. But it doesn't really always look that way. Back in 2015, The Federalist reported that between the years of 2011 and 2013, the Clinton Foundation spent less than 10% of its budget on charities. That's odd. So we have to wonder, where in the world did the rest of the cash go? Well, I'd like to point out what Vox once reported. At least 181 companies, individuals, and foreign governments that have given to the Clinton Foundation also lobbied the State Department when Hillary ran the place. Hmm, it sounds like the so-called charity was double-timing as the Clinton slush fund. And this wasn't the only time Bill and Crooked were accused of using their political stature to make money. In the book, Clinton Cash, Peter Schweitzer writes this, of the 13 Bill Clinton speeches that fetched a half a million or more, only two occurred during the years his wife was not secretary of state. That sounds a little odd, right? I mean, that's a lot of money for a speech and we can't ignore the timing. These big payouts mostly occurred while Hillary was secretary of state. Almost makes you wonder, What was really happening behind the scenes? And I'm not the only one asking questions. The pricey speeches have been raising eyebrows for a while. Hillary tried to explain it back in 2014.
2: It has been reported you've made five million making speeches. The president's made more than a hundred million dollars. Well,
1: if if you, you have no reason to remember but we came out of the white house not only dead broke but in debt Uh, bill has worked really hard and it's been amazing to me he's worked very hard do you think americans gonna understand five times the median income in this country for one speech well let me put it this way i thought making speeches for money was a much better thing than getting connected with any one group or company as so many people who leave public life do nobody's buying that the Clintons have been and always will be all about the money and they don't care how they get it even if it means selling out the country Eric Eggers was the lead investigator for Clinton cash I mean I didn't even remember that a hundred million dollars for speaking engagements that is an astounding amount of money and while his wife was Secretary of State. A lot of that had to have been overseas, right?
2: It was almost entirely overseas, Jesse, and that's such a great point. And you mentioned the fact that eleven of the thirteen speeches that paid Bill Clinton over half a million dollars occurred while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Put it another way: Bill Clinton leaves office, and for eight years, is only offered two speeches of over half a million dollars. Actually, it was exactly a half a million dollars. Then all of a sudden. Bill Clinton raises his prices, and lo and behold, the international interest in what Bill Clinton has to say spikes dramatically at the same time that Hillary is secretary of state. And oh, by the way, as we've reported, as other people have reported, is absolutely an overlap with these international people that had business before the State Department. Don't forget that in 2010, Bill Clinton was paid a half a million dollars by Russian banks because at the same time, 20% of U.S. uranium were being transferred to Vladimir Putin, of all people, At the same time, money was going to the Clinton Foundation. So uh, there's always been an intermingling of interest, and none of it looks good. Tell
1: us about the Clinton Foundation, because it was flying high for a while. I mean, Epstein was on the jets. Bill was going to Africa with Hollywood celebrities. And the money was pouring in Saudi Arabia, all over the place. And then all of a sudden, what happened? The money dried up. Why was that?
2: Um, Well, I think it had something to do with Hillary Clinton's presidential loss in 2016, because they went from raising over $60 million in that year to now, as Axios reported recently, donations are down 75%. So obviously, to your point, the business model for the Clintons has always relied on proximity to power. And when the Clintons don't have it, no one wants to talk to them or certainly no one wants to give them money. And that's got to be bad for business for the Clintons. It's one of the reasons why they recently came out and said, all of a sudden, we're offering leadership classes now through Masterclass. The Clintons may not be broke, but they don't have the money coming in through the Clinton Foundation slush fund anymore. And so they're course correcting.
1: How much now at this point can Hillary and and Bill make? In the speaking circuit because she's disgraced to a certain extent only she lost the election but she's disgraced in the sense that you know she's involved in this russia hoax i don't think that matters to many leftists that are willing to pony up money to hear crooked talk but you know you have bill clinton uh figured for being on epstein island you know running around in these jets are people still willing to pay these people
2: Um, Unfortunately, I think absolutely. You know, it's funny, Jesse, you're having this special where you look at political families across the country, and it's kind of like in school when everyone would get a different national park and they'd have to issue a report (laughs) on it. I get to talk about Yellowstone. The Clintons are the Yellowstone (laughs) of political corruption because like the old faithful geyser, The Clinton family corruption is both historically consistent and has proven to attract paying customers from around the world. So I think that the Clintons will continue to have speaking affairs. Remember, Hillary Clinton thinks the election was stolen from her. So you're going to have lots of people that want to hear that story. And Bill will always have tales to sell internationally.
1: All right. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you sharing the tales of
2: Clinton corruption.